Hi guys, welcome back to work. I'm your hostess, Trinity the Tuck. Today, our very special guest is my season nine sister. We've had her on the podcast before, but um, I'm really excited to have her back because she's very knowledgeable. It's Peppermint. Hi, Peppermint. Hey, lady. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, just for the listeners to know out there, this is going to be kind of a different podcast for me. Usually, um, I try to pick fun topics and, um, you know, just gossip and, and have fun. But I, uh, this specific one, um, I want to devote the entire podcast to what is happening in the world, um, specifically the recent case of Ahmad Arbery um, and, and others like him who um, whose society has really just done wrong. And um, it's not my place, you know, as a, a white person, I'm privileged, even though I'm gay, uh, to, I, I've never had to have the experiences that a person of color has. And so that's why I want you on the show because you, you live this life. This is, this is um, something you've dealt with firsthand. And so for, for listeners out there who are unfamiliar with this, they don't, they don't follow social media or news or anything like that. We're this podcast, the topic that we're choosing to talk about today is not about bashing white people. Obviously I am Caucasian. Um, it's, it's more about educating people on what a, per, a person of color, specifically the, these stories, a black person goes through every single day. And that is what we're talking about. It's not to bash white people. It's to show the story, to tell the tor- story, to educate what a person of color goes through every single day. Yeah. Um, it's it's really important that we know that um, racism and sexism and, and um, a lot of the problems that we have in the world, I believe, are compounded or made worse by things like racism, sexism, and misogyny. Um, and these are problems and things that exist in every single community, everywhere, in every country, every city. Um, I think we fool ourselves into thinking that they don't. But in this country, in the United States, we have a very particular flavor of um, problem that is mostly driven by uh, racism and systemic racism that affects people of color in a way that it doesn't affect white people in this country. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about Ahmad's story? Yeah, um, just as a reader, um, I was coming across, I was just on my social media, as I usually am, and suddenly was um, bombarded in my inbox and on my feed on different platforms uh, with a video. And I follow um, someone who is heavily um, involved in the activism space. Uh, his name is Sean King. Um, and he is, for those who don't know, he was pretty instrumental in um, connecting real life activism to social media. And so for people who are aware of the story of what use, what people have come to know as the Central Park Five, now renamed as the Exonerated Five, um, there was a story back in the day of um, a bunch of black kids who were arrested in New York City and charged with the murder of a white woman who was a jogger. And so those black children, they were m- many of them were minors, by the way, teenagers and minors. Some of them were 
18, um, and some of them were just above, but they were all young men, um, were over the course of the investigation, they were trying to figure out which of the black guys did it. And so they went and they, um, got a whole group of kids that happened to have been in the park that day. And it was at night and, um, charged them with the murder of this woman. They separated them, charged them with the, uh, with the murder of this white woman, manipulated them into confessing that many of them were obviously young teenagers or even younger. Um, and they all got, um, they all, were all found guilty and sentenced to several years, um, many, many, many years in prison. And they only were released, um, in the past two or two or three years. Um, and that was with the help of, um, certain a few organizations and probably a lot of people but sean king so i followed sean king i know that when he speaks about um an injustice or something happening i just go right to it so he posted a video and i watched it i clicked on it and i was forever changed um in the video i saw a man running um for his life and fighting for his life and he and he lost that battle um and so the story is that ahmaud arbery was jogging um in his neighborhood uh in his community where he lived and i'm not sure if it's exactly his neighborhood there's just some details that I, that i don't know but he was jogging um in the community it was an open community it's not a gated community um so it's anyone's able to jog it looked like a nice nice day nice weather normal circumstance for someone jogging uh, in georgia and he was the video picks up where he is chased down um by men in a truck who with guns br brandishing guns the men are brandishing guns you can see their intent is to probably use the gun and and he i guess makes the decision to defend himself and fight for his life they shoot him and he just falls limp dead in the street and this all happens on video um, and so apparently the, the complaint or from the, from the, um, accused gentlemen's, I'll call, I'll use that word extremely loosely. Um, it's a, it's a father and a son. Father and, yeah, it's a father and a son who also live in this community and they were on a 911 call. So placing together the 911 call with the video, the story goes like this. These two guys are following along several men, um, a father and a son and someone else who's, who's filming, follow along in a couple of vehicles while they're on the phone and are calling the police, telling them that there's a black man running in their neighborhood and that they're worried because there have been a lot of break-ins um, and burglaries in the neighborhood recently. And so they think that this is the burglar. They're going to chase him down. And then, and that's the end of the call. So they obviously do. And he's dead. Um, and so there are a lot of unanswered questions. There's obviously a an investigation that needs to happen. But this is clearly someone who was, if he had been burglarizing, I mean, he was wearing white and jogging during the day in the sunlight. He, you know, it, it, it's, it's I think it's tough to come to the conclusion that he was in the middle of a burglary. But um, in any event, he was running for his life and fighting for his life. He was unarmed, and apparently they said that their their inner engagement with him was their intention was to make a citizen's arrest, but while while they were holding guns, 
So while they're holding guns, they're saying, we're going to make a citizen's arrest. And he refused them. And because he refused to let them make a citizen's arrest, he was, they shot him. He refused. Now, um, it took a long time for the police in this town to arrest the father and the son. It, it took over a month, right? It took two months, uh, about two months. It happened in early February, and so it took about two months for for it before the arrest. Now, yeah. um, obviously, this is too early to tell. Uh, like, it hasn't went to trial yet, correct? Like, it's it's too, too early to tell what's really yeah, going to happen to the, these, these Yeah, people. they're just in jail right now. And for a little backstory, the, the police had this um, information, and the police, obviously, they called the police. So the police knew about this. Um, obviously while it was happening and then shortly thereafter because it was a dead body. Um, and so the DA, uh, the district attorney, uh, decided to not prosecute because the father, um, and I don't care to use their names right now, um, if that's okay with you, but the father, uh, just the, the father was a former police officer. So he used to work on the police force and he was, um, also used to work in the district attorney's office, I think as a law enforcement officer in the, in the office. I'm not sure exactly what his, his job title was. But in any event, because of his relationship to the, to the municipality, um, the, the standing, uh, the serving district attorney at the time, two months ago, made the decision to, to not uh, arrest or prosecute. And then the, then another district attorney recused themselves as well. So there's two district attorneys who were on this previously who decided not to um, follow any course of action, to not um, prosecute, to not arrest, and to not investigate. Yeah. Because the, um, because the, one of them, one of the district attorneys who oh, recused themselves no. later wrote a letter. Um, uh, I'm not sure exactly who the letter was addressed to, but explaining why they didn't prosecute. And basically they said, they were basically blaming, basically blaming um, Ahmad for his own death. They said, you know, he, there had been some burglaries and he was suspicious. He didn't, he didn't comply with what, what they asked, which is basically he didn't do what he was told. Um, if he had just done what he was told, he probably wouldn't be dead. Um, but these people were not, um, look, poli current police officers are not, they're not on duty police officers. And they had guns in their hands and they chased them down with trucks. And so, you know, it's. Why, yeah. Why would you, why would you comply to somebody that's randomly in some pickup truck with guns uh, and you're not in a uniform of any kind or have any identification to identify as a police officer? Why would you stop? I wouldn't stop. I would keep running. I would, if anybody, first of all, most humans, if they look, someone with a gun is a danger. That's like, that's for sure. And the thing that's interesting is that what we're finding, and I'm, you know, I'm going to open this up a little bit with this, we're finding a trend. Mm -hmm. And so it's really about seeing the symbols. People are taught deep down inside, subconsciously, that a stranger represents a certain level of threat. The stranger could hurt them, could kidnap them, could kill them. That's any stranger. When the stranger is male or appears to be male, then that threat is heightened. It's a man. They could hurt you more physically. And everyone universally knows that, ha has that mm -hmm. sense. We're taught that. Um, and, and it's, and it's, and it's 
beaten into us or not beaten into us, but we, we learn it at a very early age. Um, right. But another thing that we learn at an early age is that black men pose an absolute threat to white people. Black men mm-hmm. will rape you and rob you and hurt you. Uh, that's that's the subliminal message that is sent. That message- and that's based on, that's based off of news, and that's based off of yeah. what society has built over time that we should be afraid of black men. Yeah, and it's and it's 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 this. We get it on so many levels. I think people get it from their families. Um, you know, the conversations and things from their families. I'm sure that some people do. Um, we we definitely get it from film and television. You know, for, for many, many years, the criminal, the robber, the person, you know, committing the crime was a black man. You usually would not see a black person as the good guy. You would rarely see a black person as a cop. You would, you would, you know, usually the black women were, were I mean, over the past, like, since the film industry became was big, um, black people in film from the earliest time of even back to silent films at the turn of the century, but definitely in the 30s and 40s when the when the talking pictures when we got color and sound in in film, the roles for black people were for women they were a ma- they were a slave, and for women if you were a woman if it was more modern and there wasn't slavery then you were a maid. And if you were a man, uh, you were an uneducated the criminal. That's it. And so that's what we, and, and that was pretty much what we got until at least, you know, the eight, the seventies and eighties, which was obviously only 30 years ago. And even after that, there was still more, um, you know, like there's not, there's not full equality when it comes to film and television roles. So we get, we get our messaging from, from film and TV. And we also get it from the news. We often see whenever a crime is committed um, and there's a victim involved, we hear stories many times. We've heard stories historically about people accusing black people of the crime. And then their, their picture, their, there's never usually a very long wait to arrest a black person whether they're mm-hmm. guilty or not. Black people, black men will end up arrested and in jail with not much representation and throw, and arrested and sitting in jail for, for 10, 20, 30, 40 years before anyone even looks to see if they were innocent. Right. And with white men, we do everything we can to make sure that they are innocent before we even think of giving them, before we even think of arresting them. And even if we arrest them, we do everything we can to prove, to show that they are not guilty. I'm talking generally. I'm not talking about every single white man who's ever been arrested. Well, um, and, and, and not to get off topic here, like, because we we're going to come back to the, the, the story uh-huh. uh, about Ahmad. But um, as, this is uh, a proven fact. Uh, recently, um, there was a, I would call them, um, I would call them terrorists. They're not protesters. All mm-hmm. these white uh, terrorists with guns were pro- they uh, quote unquote protesting with guns, and the police weren't doing anything. Had a had that been a bunch of black people or people of color in general, those people would have immediately been arrested, or not, if not worse. 
Yeah, the, what we pray for as Black people and people of color is, is a safe arrest or a ticket. If a Black person is going, is driving down the, if Black person, in, it's, I mean, it's, there's so many, there's so much proof that when we're talking about crimes, white people commit crimes at the same rate and percentage as Black people. That's a fact. Black people make up more than half of the people in jail. Even if, even if a quarter of the white people who have committed crimes were arrested and put in jail, there still would be more black people in jail and black people make up a quarter of the people in this country. And so obviously the rate between people committing crimes and who's arrested and who's not arrested is very, very, very different. Mm -hmm. The end of the story that we jump to is, oh, there's all these black people in jail, which means black people are criminals, white people are victims, and that's it. And that's what we, I think that's sub subconsciously what we think. Right. And so we're trained to believe that if there's a black man, he, mu he must just be guilty. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. it's connected to, and I don't want to go too deep off topic, but it really is connected to something called systemic racism. There's like yeah. an active sort of racism that people, people can say, oh, a white person uses the N-word or a white person is a member of the, the KKK. I, and, and that's it. If I'm not a member of the KKK and I don't use the N-word, then I can't be racist. I think that's what many white people think. The only definition of racism is being a member of the KKK or using the N-word. Systemic racism is something that works it's very, very, very deep, deep, deeply ingrained in how we behave in all of our culture, in our entertainment, in our traditions, um, in our laws, in the um, kind of the tradition of, of, of how we hire and fire people in the workplace, um, in our family units. There is systemic racism built in to everything, every brick in this country. This country is literally built with the bricks of systemic racism. And what's it, here's a very clear example of systemic racism. White man running down the street. Let's just say this. Okay, here's a, here's a very clear example of, of systemic racism. Just the Ahmaud Aubrey case. Black man running down the street. There have been some alleged burglaries. The people who shot and killed this person on camera are not arrested because they're because of their basically friendship with the DA and their relationship to have been working in there. Despite the fact that they obviously shot this person. Right. They have they are not arrested for two whole months. Mm -hmm. Not until everyone complains on social media. Right. That is the definition of systemic racism that the DA, the person in charge of deciding to prosecute them or not says it's the black man's fault because we, like you said, we know if the situation had been reversed, if it was a white man running down the street and some black people shot them, there would they not would be the, immediately. There would be the, no the DA would not say, well, he shouldn't have been running. He would have never said that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> they, they would have immediately posed the question, you didn't have proof that this white man was the the robber. Yeah. 
No one would even be- no one even believes that white no one is even thinking that white men are robbers to black people. Like right. no one ever that doesn't even occur to people. Because in their mind, we're set up to think that the that the flow of crime only goes one direction, from black to white. Now, let me ask you this, um, because you know more about this case than I do. Now, the the father and son, who will remain nameless, have since been arrested because mm-hmm. there's there's another DA who actually decided to step in. Step mm-hmm. in. Okay. Yeah. And basically, um, after reviewing the case, again, after two months, I mean, this was sitting around. Any If you're a DA, if you are a law enforcement officer, if you are um, a person who's 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 sworn an oath to taken an oath to to uphold the law, then it should take people complaining online. If you are to, to review the evidence that you already have, if you already have a videotape and you already have a dead body, that should be more than enough to open an investigation. But yeah. I'm thankful that this that this uh, DA did decide to um, recommend. Uh, uh, prosecution, which started the process of seeking these um, two men out at their home and arresting them. They were arrested on video camera. If anybody wants at least some very, 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 very unsatisfying foot- video footage, but it is out there. Um, and what whatever happened to the person who videotaped this incident? Do we know? So now they are under. A, well, I think that people were so rightfully disturbed by what we saw in the video footage that we forgot about who was taking the video. Of course, now that question is coming up. Police have questioned them and they are involved in the investigation. This person um, obviously knows the the assailants and the murderers. Um, and apparently this person's lawyer, the person's lawyer has said that they are cooperating with the law. And so, um, they're involved in the investigation. They'll, they'll probably get a deal because they're white. So they're going to get out of it because they're just mm-hmm. going to go, you know, they're going to be a weapon for this case and they're going to get out of it easy. Um, but this is something, you know, uh, some people may be shocked if you don't, if you don't keep up with the news or you don't keep up with what's happening in the world, you mm-hmm. may be shocked. Th- this story is not something that's new. That This story happens literally every single day in America. Yeah, I mean, the one of the things that's really upsetting, and just to go back to that case really quickly, you know, the, this whole thing started allegedly because the father and son were complaining that they said on the call that there have been several burglaries and break-ins. And so one of the the, the, um, the thing that's being said amongst some people, people that support this father and son, uh, is that he shouldn't have been in that neighborhood, he shouldn't have been running, he should have complied, and it's just the luck of the draw because he fits the description of some burglaries and they've had a problem with burglaries. And so that's why, but there it it should be noted that there hasn't been a single, the last burglary that was um, reported in that neighborhood was over seven weeks before the murder. And there have, and there was only one. And so there haven't been a whole rash of burglaries recently um, they were looking you know, for an excuse to kill a black yeah. man. Yeah. And so that's that. But there have been some other um, some other cases and some other moments uh, that have, there's been some other people who've been killed, uh, basically. Um, and uh, just this week alone, Sean Reed was killed um, 
where the detective, he was, he was driving in a car um, and it, he was involved in a, in a high speed chase with police officers. Um, apparently the reason that the police say is because of erratic driving. And so he was involved in a high speed chase. And I think there are some rules and some protocols in general, when there's a high speed chase involved because of the safety and the, the danger that it poses to other people in the street, whether or not to pursue for how long, whether, you know, what to do. Apparently those, all of those protocols might not have been followed, but it's a little early to figure this out. This was just two days ago. Um, Sean, uh, Sean Reed was, was being chased by the police. And then eventually I think that the police chase the pursuit was called off by the dispatch. And so they said, stop chasing. They stopped chasing him, but he apparently uh, allegedly pulled into some type of a store or parking lot where another police officer saw him fit the description and then chased after him. He was running for his life. Or he was running away from the police officer and like on foot, on, on foot. foot, he got, they both got out of their cars and he started to run away from the, the cop he has, uh, he started to run away from the cop. The police officer shot him. Um, this happened on video. And, and so he, he, he was Facebook live streaming it the entire time, Sean Reed. And so you can see every moment of his death. Um, the other, uh, and he was calling for help. He was like, someone please come get me. Someone come get me. Um, it is a little unusual. It's a very bizarre story, but bottom line is, you know, he was running. I don't know if it's because he was scared because he's he didn't want to be shot. Scared, you know, he because this is what, this, yeah, this is what is happening in America. And not all police officers are bad, obviously, but uh, if you are a person of color and you are getting stopped by the police or questioned by the police, you are made to feel fear because of what has happened in America. Yeah. Why would you not be scared if all these people are being um, gunned down? Yeah. That are unarmed or, or whatever by police officers. When you, you know, you're a person of color, I would be the same way. It's, it's just so bizarre. It's so bizarre. It's, it's so it's so bizarre and so odd. And, you know, that's not the only one. There's another case um, by this week by a man named uh, a victim. Douglas Lewis was involved in a car accident with another driver, another motorist who was white. Um, and he was murdered in cold blood. And the killer says that he feared for his life. Uh, they got into a car accident and I think it maybe got out to, I'm sure that they, you know, people get heated when they're in a car accident. Um, and so they got, out, maybe they got out of the car. I'm not quite sure, but obviously some type of argument ensued. This person was not armed. Douglas was not armed. Um, and obviously the mo- the white motorist was armed and shot him. Uh, this person was arrested. This, this white motorist was arrested. Um, and I think this is in, in Michigan. There's another, there's, there is at least three or four cases of unarmed black men being shot and or killed in the past two weeks. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's so scary. It's terrifying. And so I think that the thing that a lot of folks don't understand is that the the privilege, the privilege of, of the the ability to 
to, to be around police officers and for a police officer not to pull their gun on you or the ability to be in a store and not have someone follow you around like they think that they know you're stealing. The ability to walk, to jog in your neighborhood and not be murdered is something that Black people don't really know. Right. But many, many people who are not people of color do know how it feels to jog and not be murdered, to go to a store and not be arrested or, or chased out, to not to, to drive and be pulled over by the police and just maybe get a ticket. There's a, there's a lot of white people who know that how that feels. And the fact that you know how that feels and don't know what it's like to be chased down by someone with a gun, that is, in this situation, a type of privilege. It's a privilege to not be murdered. And that privilege rests with certain people, that is a form of a privilege that you can probably enjoy if you are white. Right, white privilege because you're uh, because of your skin color. I um mm-hmm. I recently in the last couple of days on Twitter, um, someone that I follow retweeted um, a tweet from a guy by the name of Brian Hahn, mm-hmm. um, who is um, on his profile? He says that he is a uh, a music artist, um, but more famously known for his OnlyFans. Which I'm not shaming for sex workers. I have tons of friends who are sex workers. Um, mm-hmm. Go for him. He's a very attractive white man. Um, but on his feed, he was posting a ton, and I'm talking about a ton, of tweets and comments back and forth between um, uh, commenters uh, where he was basically defending um, his whiteness and and his opinion that, you know, racism goes both ways and that, um, you know, he's tired of seeing black people attack white people uh, verbally on social media and that, you know, in it's just it's it's so bizarre i can read a couple of his his tweets yeah um uh let me find let me find this the one where he says i'm so proud to be white a gay white man i mean there's a ton of them like um one of the one of the tweets he posted was um uh yet you are tweeting about me people really are brain dead these days you take the bait like a starving Ethiopian child. Don't make it that easy for me, man. Like, okay, first of all, why would you uh, go to that? that? That's not even the worst of it. So he, let me read some more. It It's truth. Stop spreading the racist idea that blacks are nothing but poor, suffering victims, incapable of achieving anything on their own without helping without a helping hand. Now, this is his defense on basically saying, I'm not racist because I think that black people can um, be uh, educated and can be successful. And um, they're the ones that are saying that they can't be. And like, he uses the term blacks to describe (laughs) black people in general. Like, Mm -hmm. that right there is racist. Yeah, the blacks. (laughs) Um, And then there's another tweet where he was like, how are you a doctor and don't know this? Oh, you're Jewish. Got it. You just became a doctor for a paycheck. So, like, 
there, there, there's just a ton. That's not even the worst of. There's, there's so many others. You mm-hmm. had said something about, um, I'm so proud to be white. I can't find that one right now. Do you, do you have it on hand? No, I, I didn't screenshot any of his stuff, and he blocked me. But he basically said, I'm so proud to be a gay white man, and that black people need to stop spending. I'm paraphrasing, but he says that black people need to stop complaining about. Uh, they need to spend less time complaining and have more and spend more time just being proud of who they are. And I think that it's, it's, I can, I, it's a shame that he views black people marching in the, in the streets calling for black lives matter as, as a system of complaining. This is the, and this is how I think things aren't fair and balanced in this country is that you can be a white person with a gun and go to a police officer's face with your approach, a police officer, like walk towards a police officer with. And this recently gun. has happened. Yeah, it's recently happened. <laughs> and yell in their face and have nothing happen. Whereas, and it's so interesting because these people are, I do believe that it's terrorism because it's, it is a form of um, intimidation there. They went there to intimidate their lawmakers with guns. It's not a really, I don't think it's a very, um, compassionate way to proceed i'll just say that but these people are protesting they are doing something that they call protesting the fact that they lost their jobs and that they fear that they're going to to die and and lose their they're not gonna be able to eat they're not gonna pay their bills they're gonna lose their way of life and i can understand that because we all went the same thing everybody wants to eat we're all in this is specifically around the quarantine um what was confusing to me was that there were so many people in those um, marches who were holding, some people were saying, I want to go back to work. Many people were not wearing masks, so they didn't seem to be that concerned for their physical health. But that aside, some people were saying that this, the virus is a joke and all, there's just all this mixed messaging. So anyway, it, it wasn't even that clear of a message. They were just angry and they were using guns to protest at, the, at their lawmakers because they're mad that they lost their job and they're afraid that they're going to die. My question to these people, and I tweeted about this, is why is that so much better than one black man or any black man protesting like Colin Kaepernick during the national anthem, peacefully protesting with no gun because, and he lost his job he lost his job for protesting. They're protesting because they lost their job. He lost his job for protesting because people were being killed. And that's how you can see that it's just not balanced. It's not the, the treatment of these people is not the same thing. It's not fair. If black people are, compla- are complaining, what are we complaining about? The fact that we have bad drinking water in Flint, Michigan, the fact that we're being shot and murdered in the head and killed in our backs, just with no gun, just we're just being killed. We're, we're complaining about that. That's just complaining. We have, there are less opportunities. You find out over and over again that a lot of these people uh, who are in charge are limiting the opportunities of many of many black folks. And so, and so, I just think it's it's a shame that these that a lot of these people, especially people online, he's complaining that he's tired of seeing uh, black people, and people of color, complaining. You know, you would be a. I wish that all I had to deal with was complaining. But instead, police officer, I'm worried that I'm going to get killed. Something else that he tweeted, and I can't find the screenshot, but he had tweeted that um, slavery ended X amount of years ago. Why are you 
still complaining because you haven't even been the one who was enslaved. So uh, that is that is a prime example of ignorance and white privilege and someone who just does not want to understand what a person of color goes through. It, it, it's not about it's not about slavery anymore. It's about being treated differently every single day because of the color of your skin. It's about fearing for your life because of the color of your skin. It really has mm-hmm. nothing to do with slavery anymore. It, that's not what mm-hmm. people are protesting about. And I think that they don't understand is that slavery was not, slavery you were seen as not human. You were actually listed legally as not a human in America, the, the slaves that existed in America. You were legally listed as property, not a human. You were not your own person. And when that ended, they, all of the treat that being, being a slave meant that you could not, you could not speak for yourself. You could not go in and you could, you were not able to walk where you wanted. You were not able to, um, and you were not able to engage in anything that would give you a better life. You were not able to look for a job. You're not able to have a job. You were not able to hire other people. You couldn't own property. You couldn't own a business. You couldn't make your own purchases. You were not allowed to have your own money. Um, you couldn't have, you couldn't mate with who you wanted mate with. You couldn't have a family or get married. You know, you weren't able to do any of those things. And what ended up happening is even though they got rid of the term slavery, they still kept all of those same things in place. The inability to vote, the inability to have property, the inability to get married legally, the inability to, to have, to own, to have a job legally, the inability. So the the people that were formerly enslaved were still put into poverty and for basically forced to be slaves. And, and so were their children. And so were their children's children. And so were the, and every, every generation, this country would maybe soften up some of the laws. And obviously we had new things come into the country was growing and changing new industries are coming and things like that. And so these people were as slowly able to, to work their way to work, to work. They were slowly worked in to the system and the fabric of the country because now they're, they're here and they're Americans. But the thing that's, that's not really acknowledged is that they were kept at a certain position far, far, far behind. There's still places in this country where some of those laws existed. And basically the laws, because we're in a new country, we have electricity, we have running water, we have cars, we have, you know, helicopters and planes and skyscrapers. This is is not a third world country. This is not a third world country. And so then what ended up happening with all these old slave era laws were translated and updated to fit more of a modern world. And at the, and then at the turn of the century in the 20s, 30s, 40s, then it became Jim Crow era laws where basically, you, you know, you know, you could ride the bus because now we have buses. We didn't have buses when y'all were slaves. You could ride the bus, but now you have to sit in the back of the bus, you know, things like that. Um, and then the, the, those, uh, laws kind of tra- transferred and updated to what we have now. And now pe- we have the, they said, okay, we're not, it used to be that black people are legally not allowed to vote. If you're black, you're it's against the law to vote. They removed that and they said, okay, it's not against the law to vote, but we're going to make it so that there's no voting available for black people. And that's what we have now is that they try their best to. And so now there is voting available for black people. I don't want to say no black people can vote. Please, if you're black, you need to vote. But 
what they did is in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, they kind of said, well, we'll put another law on them. There's a law that says that you can't vote if you've been to jail, if you have a, if you have a felony or been to jail. So why don't we just put all the black people in jail? And so that's what they did. They systematically worked to, in, to put black men in jail. And so the whole narrative was get them arrested, get them into jail. And so either, either in jail, which means that they can, they make our goods for free because jail, people don't talk about this, but prisoners in jail work a lot. They create a lot. It's our, it's our modern day slavery. They work, they create goods and they create products. It's a business. It's a business now. So now it's basically modern day slavery. If you're not in jail working for what, what basically free to create products that make these people rich, then if you're out of jail, we don't want you voting to change the laws. Yeah. And so that's what, that's a one very small slice of invisible uh, systemic racism that white people don't necessarily have to deal with. It doesn't affect you. You don't have to think about it. You never have to deal with it. You don't have to worry about having to go to jail and making products or not being able to vote. Nobody's coming after you like that. And, and that is a, one example of how what many people in this country don't have to deal with um, racism and the effects of racism. And the effects of racism come from generation to generation. But they pass through people because there are certain groups of people that it's designed to help. And right now in this country, white people in this country benefit from having white skin, which means that they don't, they don't have to endure being chased down and murdered by the police at the same rate that black people do. Now, I, I want to segue into something else that mm-hmm. is a, a subcategory of what we're talking about, which, mm-hmm. um, which di- you can speak very specifically to this because mm-hmm. you are a trans person of color, um, mm-hmm. is that trans women of color are being murdered at an alarming rate more than any other uh, division out there like Mm -hmm. can you explain to us um why race fits into that storyline like like why 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 so many uh trans women of color are being murdered way faster than any other um race out there well I don't have the magic answer to that, but I can try to, and I'm trying, working really hard within myself and trying to understand um, the mind of of the people who commit murders of trans women of color and trans people in general. Um, It's worth noting that um, violence against all LGBTQIA plus people um, has been on the rise. Um, in the past few years, specifically the past three years, we because can speculate why. <laughs> right. You, you may not want to say it, but I'll say it because of Trump. And, um, and a lot of these, a lot of folks are discriminated against. A lot of, um, obviously gay men are discriminated against. This is still something that's still happening. Even though we have shows like Queer Eye and we have shows like RuPaul's Drag Race, this is still yeah. a problem in our country. Right. Um, just, just like racism. And so the short end of it is uh, uh, discrimination against LGBT people still exists. And uh, because a lot of people don't get it or understand it um, and, and don't want to see it. 
racism still exists because a lot of people don't get it or understand it or want to see it. And unfortunately, the people that that hurts the most, that those two things hurt the most, is the LGBTQIA plus people who are people of color. Um, yeah. And so that's how, that's how that equation works. The And then when you put on top of it, people who are femme or women or femme presenting, because women are also, even though women are um, the majority of the people in this world and in this country, there's more women than men. Um, the women and femme presenting people are, are still, we obviously still earn money at a lower rate. We're still discriminated against. We um, have higher rates of uh, murder and violence perpetrated on us from men. And so, so if you are a femme presenting or a woman who is a person of color and you're queer or LGBTQ, IA, then you are triple three times as likely. Um, and you have three kind of strikes against you. And so I fit into that category. <laughs> and, um, and so it really is, it's, it's really disturbing to me that I've, that we've seen, uh, these alarming rates of murder for trans against transgender women. Many of these murders are unreported. There's a lot of them. the reason why that the murders are sometimes unreported is that the just just like in the case of Amon Arbery, the the people who are in charge of doing the reporting, the police officers, the investigators, the di district attorneys, they don't want to report a murder and say that an LGBTQ person was killed. They just want to say somebody was killed because they don't want to show that we are that people are victimizing us. They don't want to acknowledge that, that, that there's a problem with people becoming angry and murdering LGBT people. Um, and, and even when that happens, they, 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 they don't report it properly. They won't say they, they don't, they don't even, if they don't believe that if they believe, if they're in a state or if, if the person is an individual that believes that, like, for instance, it's unnatural or against God to be transgender, then they're not going to acknowledge and respect that person in their death when they're, when they're, when they're um, investigating the murder. They're not going to say a transgender woman was killed. They're going to say some, some guy in a dress was killed. That's what they're going to say. And right. so that's part of the reason why the numbers aren't even as high as we think they are. Because right. there's a lot of missing bodies of transgender women who are named in their, on their caskets with John Doe. Wow. And so that's, that's something that's very real. So the numbers are higher than we know, but the numbers are very high, especially considering that transgender women and transgender people in general are a minority. Um, the numbers are slow to, because of that. The numbers aren't, like I said, the numbers aren't exactly accurate. So in 2019, in 2018, there were 26 deaths of transgender, uh, or gender nonconforming people of color. Um, and in 2019, there were 26 deaths and that wasn't even, that wasn't even the full, like full year. This, the, the, the numbers are behind. And so far we've already had at least six murders this year and most of this year has been in quarantine yeah in this country you know probably in the whole planet um yeah. and so it's really alarming that there, that there's still murders a transgender woman of color was just murdered uh two days ago um shot there was a transgender woman burned 
um, to death in uh, in a car um, recently. There was another mm-hmm. trans. There's a transgender woman shot to death on a park bench here in the United States during the quarantine. And I don't know what the circumstances were. There's a chance that if they were home, they still might have been murdered because a lot of people don't live in safe situations. There's a lot of people who are who don't even have a house to live in. And so right. we don't know what the situation was, but um, it's, it is, I've heard stories of transgender women of color who are um, in positions where they are victimized and then they go to the police and the police don't even want to help them. They ask right. them, well, what were you doing wrong? And I think that people don't seem to understand that because of the laws that are in place right now, that, that the Trump administration, Obama put certain laws in place and tried to change things and make things better by putting in a few laws for people in our country. Most of those laws that Obama has put into place have been removed or in the process of being removed right now. Um, there was, uh, the title seven was a, um, uh, protection was a protection for everyone so that they couldn't be fired based on their race, color, their religion, all that stuff. That's what we know as Americans, but also their sex, their gender and their gender identity, which those are the kind of the newer, they, they go back and modify the law every once in a while. Those are the mm-hmm. new modifications of the law. Those are the pieces of the law that Trump is trying to pull out so that it will be legal to fire you if you're just a gay person or a trans woman of color or any of these people. Um, right now, we already know that it's illegal or it's, it's, uh, transgender people are banned from, in, um, enroll, enlisting in the military. Transgender people, specifically trans women, but all transgender people um, in certain states are banned from engaging in school sports. That's brand new. On Transgender Day of Remembrance Visibility this year, uh, the um, Iowa governor passed House Bill 500, signed into law on Transgender Day of Visibility that um, that made it legal to discriminate against transgender students uh, who wanted to be in 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 sports. And so this means that they also don't have access to the locker rooms, which means that, you know, like it's a, it's a domino effect. And so here, if you are a transgender person and if you're a woman of color, then you have certain things already set up against you. You can't, there's certain states that won't allow you to do a legal name change, but then they require you to have a legal name change in order to get surgery. You can't get the wow. surgery without the name change. They won't let you get the name change. What are you supposed to do? It works the same way with black people. Like I said, you're supposed you're supposed to be have no record if you're if you're going to vote. Well, if you're going to vote and you're black, you, we're going to put you in jail. You can't vote if you uh, uh, have been in jail. And so, if you're black and you've been in jail, you can't vote. Well, there, there's you know a high a high uh, percentage of men. The prisons are disproportionately filled with men of color, which means that they can't vote. They they're destined to, and they can't hold. They can't. They're not going to get hired. And God forbid they can't even run down the street. And so, so it's, just a, it's just a cycle, it's just a cycle. constantly. Yeah, it's a it's a domino effect or a cycle that you once you're in it, you can't get out of it. And what they end up doing is they arrest the the stop and frisk laws that were really prevalent in our country, which feel like they're just kind of coming back in a new way right now. They they weren't targeting forty year old men. They were targeting young boys. Why? Because if we can get them, and and there's a um, Really good documentary that I watched. Uh, it's called Endgame, AIDS in Black America. And it really kind of talks about all these things. 
about Black queerness and um, about LGBTQ people, about uh, the Black, obviously the Black community, um, and the justice system, and the criminal justice system, and how it was designed to work. Um, and and that's just one, one, again, another very small example, if you watch that documentary, on how the system was set up to work against people. Basically, what, what they would do is, during the Reagan era, they had, era, they had a war on drugs. Drugs were, were flooding into uh, crack, crack and cocaine separately were flooded into our country in the 80s. Cocaine went to the white communities. Crack went to the black communities. The war on drugs was not a war on cocaine. The war on drugs was like a war on crack users. Crack users were mostly people of color in poor neighborhoods. They would flood into the neighborhoods. They would arrest these men, put them in jail. Now the women, their their partners, mothers to their children, have no partner, no, no male partner. So now there's one or two free men when there would be 50 free men in a neighborhood. So then right. these women are desperate for a partner. These women will get connected with these men and these men are calling the shots in the relationship because the women are desperate. You know, they want companionship. And so there's the women and the women in these, in these specific stories ended up getting involved with um, men who would ask them to have unprotected sex and, and they would get them hooked on drugs and things like that. These women did not have a very good choice of men in these communities because of all, most of them were removed. And then that's how the whole AIDS epidemic in the black community really spiked. Um, you know, women weren't able to say, you have to use a condom to have sex with me. They were basically just put in these situations where they were involved with men, the only man in the neighborhood or the only man they could find. And that, that guy called the shots. Then these women were, you know, you know, giving birth to some babies and things like that who had either been addicted to crack or born, you know, with a crack addiction. And it was like an endless cycle. These folks didn't have access to, to the money and to, you know, um, and to the sort of things that other people in other neighborhoods using just as much drugs, there's just as much cocaine happening in parties in white areas and, and white communities as there was crack in communities of color. But the only focus on these folks. Now these men can't vote. Now these men are stuck going back into a cycle of jail. They can't hold a job. They can't vote. They're not seen as good members of the community. And so this is one of the cycles. It's a really, it goes into deeper detail, but um, you should check it out. It's called Endgame AIDS in Black America. Um, yeah. I, I, um, I want to ask you, so we can go ahead and close the podcast. Um, mm -hmm. I want to know, obviously, like I'm a little bit more educated than um, other people on this topic that are you know, Caucasian because I, I do a lot of research. I ask a lot of questions to my friends who are um, people of color and, and um, specifically uh, black people of color. Um, what can a person who is not a person of color, so a, a Caucasian person, what can we do as a community or a, as people to be more, be better allies for the the uh, POC community? Okay, well, I think the 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 I think the best rules of allyship are um, pretty much the same whether you're talking about POC 
POC community or even the LGBT community at large. Um, the number one thing is to understand that whoever you are, you have a certain amount of privilege. You can call it white privilege. You can call it male privilege. You can call it passing privilege, pretty privilege. There's all types of privilege. What you name it, there's a reason there's, there's certain things that are hard for you in life because life is hard, but there are certain things that are easier for you in your life that come easy for you that because of how other people see you or treat you or want to, to give to you. That's just a fact. So the first thing is understanding that you have a certain level of privilege. It's different for everyone, but it does exist. Um, the second thing is to listen. Listen to these two individuals, um, people of color, in this situation, people of color. Listen, you know, be willing to listen and learn. You have to be open. You're probably going to hear something that's going to make you uncomfortable. You're probably going to hear something that makes you feel attacked. But just listen. Next thing is it's important to open up spaces um, without sort of taking them over, just like you're doing. You were having a conversation and you are allowing a person of color to say what it is that they're experiencing. Opening up spaces that wouldn't normally exist for an LGBTQ person or a person of color is really key in allowing other people who aren't POC, who aren't LGBTQ, to, to hear those voices. It's really important. Um, do your research. Look into it. You, you, it may have never occurred to you how many Black people were killed this week. Google it and look into it. Compare that to how many white people may have been killed for the same reason. Compare that to how many LGBT people might have been killed. How many of those LGBT people were people of color? Look at look into that. Look into next time you get a, a really good opportunity, check and see how many people of color or how many LGBTQ people have those same opportunities. Right. Look, do your research. Um, it's important to resist with with this with the specific race, and I know there's a lot of people that aren't going to to like might not like this, but it's really important to sort of resist the white savior complex. Um, and what that means is. The answer to ending racism is definitely involves all of us participating together. But it doesn't mean Black people just need to be saved. This, the, the white savior complex is, I'm just going to come in here and me being quote unquote woke alone is enough to end racism. The fact right. that I'm even here and thinking about this means that Black people will never have another worry again. That is kind of a white savior complex. That's a very crude example of it. There are specific examples of it. But knowing that you are, are in a situation where you don't want to come off tone deaf, you, you come off as tone deaf if you're not listening. And if you're not mm -hmm. listening, then that can, that can cause someone to have a sort of savior complex. You, your story and your, um, you, your voice is very valuable in this conversation, no matter who you are. But you don't want it to be louder than the people that were actually there to support. Right. Um, and that's those are the, the best ways that people can sort of, sort of uh, become better allies. And I think that's the, at the end of the day, that's the, 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 the takeaway is that we all need to be better allies and doing some of those things or all of those things is going to help us get to that sort of vision that we have of everyone's equal there's no problems with race or, or sexism or, or it, discrimination. That won't happen until we're all doing it. I just listen. 
Um, right. Some websites that people can go to and use as resources. Um, there, just very generally, um, there's you can you can research how to be a better ally and how to connect with organizations. Unfortunately, there's not like a website that you can go to to just hit a button and end racism for the world. So it doesn't exist. But right. it is important to, to get involved. And so you can go to glad.org. Uh, you can go to um, the Sylvia Rivera Law Project. You can go to the Trans Law Center. That's for specifically if you are concerned with the problem of trans transgender women of color being discriminated against and killed. And then again, I think that um, it's important, a good one good way that's kind of active and, and you can kind of get some, get a little bit of all of those things I, I mentioned is watch the um, behavior and online conversations of some important activists. Obviously people like Laverne Cox, Sean King, who I mentioned, um, follow some of these people and some of these organizations that I mentioned on their social media. See how they how they interact and engage with the community, and then you can engage in the, when you're comfortable engage in those conversations too. And of course, they will be putting out many opportunities for you to get involved if there's something that you can do. Um, but I'd say the number one thing to do right now is to vote. Yeah, vote, 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 vote. Vote in November, and you know, um, do. There's nothing wrong with asking questions if you do it responsibly, if you do it respectfully. Mm-hmm. I have never been shut down from any one of my friends whenever I've asked questions that I was ignorant on. And um, there's nothing wrong with, with um, asking questions. Um, I hope that this podcast uh, really has given you guys a little bit more information on uh, a different perspective or something that you might not have thought about or didn't know. Peppermint, thank you so much for always being so knowledgeable about everything that you um, advocate for. And um, again, thank you so much for being on my podcast today. Absolutely, girl. Thank you for giving me a chance. (laughs) All right. Until next time, have a good night, guys. Mm